morning, I couldn't, our internet was not working. I couldn't print off my sermon. <laughs> you know how scary it is to get up and preach on a computer? <laughs> so look, if it dies, I'm just going to give you the benediction, and we're going to go from there. Man, where did I put my Bible? Okay, Isaiah 35. We'll just figure this out as we go. Isaiah 35. Okay, just tell me you got it. Isaiah 35, you there? Ready to go? Okay. Um, when Israel, let me give you some background information that help this all make sense to you. When Israel was in the wilderness, a young nation traveling towards the promised land, so this is in the book of Numbers, around chapter 20, they requested to another nation called Edom for passage through Edom's land, Edom's property. And they even offered, we'll, we'll pay you for the water that we're going to drink. And Israel thought, this is not going to be a problem because we're both descendants of the same man, Abraham and Isaac. Isaac had two children, Esau, which is where Edom came from, and Jacob, which is where the Israelites came from. Yet the Edomites held a grudge, and they refused to allow Israel to pass. So you might say it like this, in the wilderness, Edom was seeking to block the redemption God was working in his people. Now in Isaiah 34 and 35, that's important information. The prophet closes, this is the close of the first half of the book. We've made it halfway. And he closes with chapter 34, judgment upon the nations. And the only nation he mentioned is one. Guess what it is? It, I've, already, it's, it, I've, I've given you the answer. Edom. Edom. Why? Well, Edom had ended, hindered God's people from reaching the promised land in the first exodus. And God is making a point that the nations will not thwart or stop the salvation of his people now in the second exodus because they've been dispersed, they've been captured, they've been sent out, and he is bringing them home. Even though that they are far off, they've been conquered, they've been brutalized, he will raise up what he calls a highway of salvation where they will again come and sing God's glory and they will return with joy and shouting to Zion, the city of God. So let's just read Isaiah chapter 35, which is the chapter of salvation, as 34 was the judgment. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom with the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, 
with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's just pray once more for our time. Oh God, what a picture. The disperse your people, you call them your elect, scattered, tormented, left home throughout the nations, and you say you will draw them in. They shall behold your glory. Their life will be radically changed so that as they come back, Lord, they will be on a highway of holiness. Their life will be marked now with holiness unlike it was earlier. God, and I thank you, and I think about them just praying with joy and singing and gladness. God, thank you for the marks of the redeemed. God, thank you for the marks and the signs of the redeemed. We too behold your glory. We too are on a highway of holiness that is Christ Jesus himself. Father, we too have been shown incredible grace and clothed with the beauty of Lebanon all through our Messiah, the Savior Jesus Christ. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear now the glory of Christ that you speak of here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the days of wood-burning trains, you can picture them going, especially through the Midwest, and, and as the coal would burn and wood would burn, sparks would go out. And usually that wasn't a problem until it was time for the harvest of the grains. And sometimes those sparks went out. There was about a 13-day period when the grains were particularly dry and they could catch fire. And sometimes when trains would go through, those sparks would come out and make giant wheat fires in the plains. There was a particular farmer who said he was at his house one day and he saw in the distance of his property a massive smoke billow coming up and he knew exactly what it was because the train had just come through. And so by the time he got over there, it was a huge, devastating fire that had come through. And as he's surveying the damage, he had lost one of his barns, one of his silos out there. He noticed that there was a mother hen charred, blackened, not much left. And he thought, well, she must have gotten dazed. She must have gotten confused in the smoke. Couldn't fly. Hunkered down. And so he just went over to him with the toe of his boot and just gently lifted her up, flipped her over. And out from under her came 12 little chicks. Scurried away. They were saved. They were 
redeemed. You see, the mother's body had been over them. You might say she had redeemed them from the fire at the expense of her own life. Her life was paid so that they might be saved from death. Now, Isaiah 35, the prophet says to his readers, Behold, your God will come. And one of the things he will do is he will make a highway to Jerusalem and redeem his people from their exodus. He will bring them in like a mother chick, you might say, to salvation and to safety. And the two words that he uses to describe their coming back are joy and holiness. His people who were described spiritually as deaf and dead as they were dispersed throughout the nations are now returning completely different. They're seeing the glory of God and they're singing and shouting on what he calls the highway of holiness. My friends, if, if you are a Christian, you have been redeemed from a spiritual wilderness as well. Only because of grace for the purpose of conforming you and heart and life to himself. That, that's how we define holiness. Confirmation, conforming you, heart and life to himself. Now, he did not redeem you to discover your real self, right? Or to be your best you, like some say. But he redeemed you to be like him, to resemble your redeemer, to be conformed to his likeness. Now, how does that work? Well, for the redeemed, Christ gives us ability to love the will of our Heavenly Father. And as we do that, He gives us real joy and gladness as we walk with Him. And then He gives us grace when we stumble and we struggle. And my friends, Isaiah is saying the highway of holiness is also the highway of joy as we behold God's glory there. It's the same road. So here's the main idea. And now you need to listen carefully because it sounds kind of like a Jonathan Edwards or John Piper main idea. So listen closely. It's just this. You have been redeemed because of grace for holiness which produces joy as we behold God's glory on the way. I need to give that to you eight times, right? So you get it. You have been redeemed because of grace for the purpose of holiness, which produces joy as we behold Christ's glory on the way. That's almost a definition of Christianity, isn't it? Now, there's four characteristics of the redeemed that he gives us. And let's just look at the first one. Point one. You are redeemed from the wilderness to new life. You have been redeemed from the wilderness to new life, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Notice those words in your scriptures. The wilderness and the dry land, and then he describes it as a desert. 
He's talking about the land of Judah, which has been devastated by war. Its people have been taken captive so that spiritually and economically, it's like a wilderness. It's like a desert. Imagine Germany after World War II. You know those pictures that we see? There's nothing there. Imagine Katrina hitting New Orleans. And what a devastation. And that's what he's saying that Judah is like. But then comes God's grace. And notice how he describes it. Gladness, rejoicing, joy in singing. They'll blossom like a crocus, which is a wild flower in the desert. So the desert which is dead, there's no life. Suddenly it's adorned with beauty. It's full of life. And Judah will be like a desert which blossoms with flowers of gladness, joy, and singing. Now notice, how does that happen? Look in your Bibles. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. So God is describing His grace like a man who takes a beautiful robe from the queen and adorns a peasant who has nothing with it. God will give them a glory that they do not deserve, a beauty that they did not earn. How? How's this, how's this happen? Look in your Bibles there again. They will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. My friends, how does God redeem the wilderness of your life and of my life when we're converted? The desert of our hearts into something full of spiritual life where singing and rejoicing happens. Well, he shows us his glory. God's glory is always what transforms our life as we see it and behold it in Christ. And the more we see it, behold it, know it, the more our life flowers with worship and joy and holiness. God's people have always been redeemed from a spiritual wilderness to a new life through experiencing the greatness of God. It's the same. R.C. Sproul, before he died, was asked this question. R.C., what do you think is the most important thing that people inside the church need to know? He said this. That's easy. The single most important thing that people inside the church need to know is the same as people outside the church need to know. The character of God. He means the glory of God. What R.C. Sproul is saying is what we see here. That the soul of man is contracted because of sin so that it does not know the character or the glory of God. We've become spiritually dead like that wilderness. And God sent Christ to restore, or you might say to enlarge, or bring life to your souls by bringing the very Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And He does that through glory. Now what that means is, if you are never going... Let me say it like this. What that means is, you are never going to believe in what you don't experience or see. And to become a Christian, you must experience, see, behold with the eyes of faith who Jesus is. His glory. What does that mean? 
You've got to know He's the eternal Son of God. That He is the Lamb of God who died for me. He is the great Creator of all things. He's the one full of compassion when I struggle in sin. His grace is always sufficient for a broken down man like me. The one who is all-powerful, all-knowing. The one who rose from the dead and conquered death. This is the glory of Christ. And before anyone becomes a believer, you have to see it. You have to know it. You have to believe it. And that's what he's describing here. And by God's grace, when you see with eyes of faith who Christ is and believe in his work for you, then notice he says the glory of Lebanon is given to you. In other words, Lebanon was the most beautiful of places, right? You think about the cedars of Lebanon. And he's saying, now God is going to take the beauty there and he's going to take it over to the wilderness of Judah. He's going to give it to them. They don't deserve it. It's all grace. And that's exactly what he does with us. That is the gospel in Isaiah to you. He takes the beauty of Jesus Christ, all of his righteousness, all of his goodness, and when you believe, he comes to you in the wilderness of your life, and he gives it to you, covers you with it. And of course, what's the result? Well, we'll get there. Here's the second thing. The marks that you're redeemed, here's point two. You're redeemed with a new freedom. A new freedom, verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. A new freedom. Their slain shall be cast out in... Oh, I'm in chapter 34, I'm sorry. Here we go. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Notice those words. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Now when you read that, what do you think? Oh, okay, I I need to strengthen myself, right? I've got feeble knees, I struggle with fear, I struggle with sin. I need to strengthen myself. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying on this highway, the believers are to come beside other believers who are struggling and to strengthen them. Other believers to strengthen and encourage the redeemed who struggle, who have been cast out with little hope. Now how do we do that? Because that's a charge to us to have an eye for the struggling, for the fearful, for the vindictive is the word he uses here. How do we do that? Look in your scriptures. Behold your God will come with vengeance. Okay? Put those two together for me, Rusty. The encourager says to the downcast, who is utterly beaten up by the world, yet in their heart they hope for vengeance for everything that they have suffered. They have no ability to make the right wrong, no ability to make things right or to bring justice to the oppressed. And the encourager says, look to God to be your avenger, to bring justice and judgment to the wicked and to save his people. Which means our hope is not revenge or my ability to make things right when I have been wrong, like we all have. We are called to look to God to act on our behalf and therefore 
to cast our cares and our heart of vengeance upon Him. And this is freedom. To cast all of our desires for revenge and anger upon the judge of all things and leave them upon His shoulders and be free from them. My friends, I want to ask you a very serious question. Do you feel the need to avenge yourself when you're wrong? Do you? Does it stir in your heart and mind for months, years? Well, I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Susan. Uh, no, that's not. That's his wife's name. <laughs> Susan's the wife. Rick's the husband. And they were planning on going to Apalachicola and then to the beach with two other college friends. And Rick had been really looking forward to it because the redfish were biting and the specks were killing it. And he had his fishing trip planned with Captain Dave. I hope there's a Captain Dave down there. And he booked his reservations to Boss Oyster, his favorite place to eat. And this is his big trip all year. But the night before they left, Rick and Susan had a huge teardown argument. And it wasn't resolved. And the next morning, as Rick was packing the car, Susan comes up to him with a big smile on her face. And she says, you know, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. You go without me, Ricky. He says, what do you mean? We made these plans months ago. My two best friends are coming from college with their families. This is what we always do. Susan says, you have a better time without me. Besides, I don't even really like the beach, and I really hate false oyster. And I, I need to do all this housework. Now, I see that all the time. It's subtle revenge. Subtle vengeance. Vengeance motivates people, even if they don't realize it. To get divorced, I'm going to pay you back. To quit jobs where they are needed, Oh, now's the rush time, and now you really need me. Well, I quit. Take that. To say cruel and hurtful things, or maybe gossip about a coach or teacher that we didn't get the grade we want or our child didn't make the sports team, all with the goal of paying someone back, getting even. I will show you. I will make you hurt like you've made me hurt. That's vengeance. Now, that is taking vengeance and judgment into your own hands. And what God is saying to the believer here, now, is vengeance is mine. Deuteronomy 32, 35. And we say, okay, Rusty, why is that? Because our sins don't allow us to justly determine right punishment. You see that? Our sins don't allow us to really understand what right punishment is. God has reserved a determination for how to bring justice and vengeance for people's actions into his own hands for the believer. As the only one who searches and knows the heart and the intent and the motive. Now, that does not mean the state has no responsibility to judge and punish. It's just the opposite. God calls the state to protect the innocent. They are his arm. But the believer, you, my friends, are freed from the task of seeking revenge when you are wrong. Is that hard? It's hard for me. I think it would have been hard for Judah, 
Imagine you're them. You've lost everything. Now foreigners are living in your houses. They're planting your fields. They're drinking out of the well that you and your grandfather dug. They're eating your grapes. And now you're telling me not to avenge. How do you do that? Look at those words. Behold, your God will come in vengeance. That is his glory. And my friends, the only way that you can have a heart like that is when you behold the glory of God as a just judge and trust that his vengeance and his judgment, whether in this life or eternity, is right and it's true. And I can cast all of that on him and be free from it. The redeemed are free people. Let's move to our third point. What are the marks of redemption? Point three, you are redeemed with new sight. Verse five and six with me. Verse five and six. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You know, the Bible is real clear that before we become Christians, we live in the wilderness, a desert, spiritually, where sin blinds our eyes from ever seeing and knowing God. It really blocks our ears from hearing from Him. Spiritually, the Bible says we are dead spiritually. And so Isaiah is saying the same thing, that redemption is God's grace to bring us spiritually out of the wilderness and desert of a dead heart towards him by making us new creations. And because Christ now dwells in us and God had redeemed these people, they can see and know him. And notice the result, verse 6. The lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Redemption gives us eyes to see and ears to hear God and know Him, and the response is always worship for the redeemed. Point four. We'll close with this. Number four. Last thing, the marks of the redeemed. The redeemed shall walk in new holiness. Verse eight and nine. Verse eight and nine. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, hallelujah for me, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Notice those words. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. In Judah's wilderness and lostness, God's saying he's going to take them back to Zion, to the city of God. He's not building a real highway. He's not getting bulldozers and tractors out there. He means God's people will return from different places. And notice this highway has a name, the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but the redeemed shall walk on it. It's called the highway of holiness because the redeemed, their lives, have a new holiness about them. Holiness is conformity of the heart and life to God. This is God's purpose for redeeming them and us, that He would make us like Him. 
we then are now part of his family if we are redeemed. And you might say the banner over us is holiness as well. But notice also, the unclean shall not pass over it. You can't see this highway. It's not really there in the desert. It's not a physical road that you can go to that people are on. But he's saying you can see the difference in the lives of the redeemed and the non-believer. The redeemed heart by grace produces fruits of holiness, worship, joy, and the unclean, look, they want to cross it. They're going in a different direction. And he calls them unclean, which means that's what comes out of their heart. And notice one more thing. He will keep the redeemed. He'll keep us. If you're redeemed and he's changed you and you're heading in that direction, he promises he will keep you, which means he who began a good work in you will finish it. He doesn't, the, the lions there don't mean that you're going to just always have a great life and be protected from everything. He means that you are going to be saved. He means the redeemed will finish the race in his grace. Now, last thing we want to see there. This highway of holiness is also the highway of worship. Verse 10, the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Listen, the life of the redeemed is full of joy and holiness as they experience glory. Let me put it like this. The greatest enjoyment of God, listen, please, the greatest enjoyment of God cannot be separated from obeying Him and knowing Him as Lord. Joy and having your heart and life conform to God, which is holiness, are interwoven. They lead to each other. And to really enjoy God and become like Him in holiness there must be a communication from us, and that's glory. And this is just what John says Christ has done for us. John 1.14 The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. My friends, if you're a believer, you've been redeemed from the wilderness. The cause of grace for holiness which produces joy as you experience glory. And the redeemed have new eyes, new ears to see Christ and his glory. How do we think and live this? Well, just a few last thoughts. During World War II, Poland, with some of the other countries in Western Europe, had been conquered by Germany and Great Britain, and they were in great trouble. The Battle of the Atlantic was about to begin. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt gave a speech and he says this, as for Iceland, we are determined at all costs to keep the way to Iceland. And what he meant was Iceland was situated strategically in the North Atlantic and America knew that we would keep an open highway to Iceland regardless of what it costs to us. God is saying something similar. 
It was not just those dispersed Jews who were on the way to Zion, beholding the glory of the Lord, encouraging each other as they grow, experiencing real worship. God, too, has made a way for us at great expense to himself. He sent his son to make a permanent way, Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And my friends, Christ is the only highway to God. And only those redeemed from the wilderness of sin and darkness can travel there. And he keeps us there. Now, last thoughts. I want to just wrap it up. I know I've hit you with a fire hydrant this morning. But listen. In Christ, on this highway, which is himself, God is redeeming people dispersed throughout all the world. It's the same thing he's always done. By grace, he is clothing them with the beauty of Lebanon. That's you, believer. His purpose is that the redeemed might be holy as he is holy to shine like a light. That's why he redeemed you in this world. And on this road of salvation leading to eternity, you are not alone. Christ is with us. And through his word and his worship and his spirit, we experience glory. His glory with us, full of grace and truth. And the more we experience in Him, the more we do exactly what they did. We worship. We worship. Because that's what happens with closeness to Christ. Joy, which leads to worship. Amen. Father, I just praise You. I know this is... There's a lot here. But I thank You so much, God that you have redeemed us by grace through faith, Lord, for the purpose of holiness, to be your light, to be set apart, God, on our best day and our worst day, Lord. And we have joy, and that comes in knowing the glory and the greatness of our Savior who walks with us. Thank you, God, that you have always worked the same way in salvation. In Jesus' name.